Maybe you remember when we refused to talk about Ted Lasso's character, Rebecca Welton, when we did our Lasso mini episode? (laughs) Well, that was intentional. Rebecca, as a character, offers simply too many connections to the idea of redemptive leadership that's in our wheelhouse to cover within those 20-minute norms. So we're devoting this full-length episode to Rebecca and Leaders Everywhere to help you hop in the perfect pedicab to lead you down the road to redemptive leadership. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your hosts, Casey Veach, Emily Coakland, and me, Jenny Labrie. Anyone who grew up watching movies like Major League in the 90s thought we knew what we were getting from Rebecca Welton in the first scene of the Apple TV hit show Ted Lasso. She came off as an ice-cold, revenge-driven executive with a heart of steel, setting out to sabotage our team of lovable losers, led by our hero, Ted Lasso. But that wasn't it, was it? Revealing the trauma and hurt in Rebecca's past, paired with her slowly opening up to the possibility of friendship with people like Keely and Ted, shows Rebecca's humanity. And all without ever shaking a viewer's belief that she is a formidable boss who can get things done. Leaders, you can be both. Be a good human and an effective leader. Our intention in this episode is to provide leaders with the tools needed to embark on their own journey of redemption if and when such a journey is needed for them. Okay, so let's just kick this off. We've already done a bit of Ted Lasso discussion when we did our previous mini episode, but we really left Rebecca alone. And there was a reason for that. To talk about redemptive leadership and how Rebecca fits into that, first we need to do the thing that we sometimes do in Six Degrees and talk about her backstory. So Casey, filling that role as usual. Yep. Again, not going to go into too much the details behind Ted Lasso coaching British football, soccer, whatever. Yeah, go Um, back to that mini-sode if you want it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was real good, that episode. It was. (laughs) It was fun. In terms of Rebecca's backstory, on the surface, right when we first meet her, she seems like this very stern, very Cersei Lannister-esque, like Mm -hmm. very in control, self-possessed woman who has taken control over this male-dominated, completely all-male football club, and she is the spearhead of it after she and her husband Rupert get divorced, and this is what she got in the divorce settlement. And her ambition is to drive this football club into the ground because it was the only thing that we find out later that her ex-husband actually cared about. So she embarks on this mission to destroy this team. Well, over the course of her connections with Ted Lasso and her really starting to get to know all of these players, she has to do a 180 and try to make amends given the track that she was on for the majority of that first season. Yeah, so very much someone in need of and in want of redemption. She desires this arc for herself. So if we're going to talk about redemptive leadership, what does that mean when we say that? What does that mean to you guys? 
Casey, as you're talking about Rebecca, there are a lot of parallels which we will make within this episode, but I would like to even point out a little bit about education. Most leaders we find are not in it for the inheritance that they've gotten for a specific thing, or, you know, she has a ton of money and she's doing it out of revenge. I don't think we see a lot of that in education. However, what we're finding nowadays is, especially in a very heated environment socially, mm-hmm. it's impossible to please everyone. And mm-hmm. so depending on what side of the coin you're on, or what perspective you are taking, sometimes you might find as a leader that you might be the villain in someone else's story, whether you like mm-hmm. that or not. And so that may come as something that you were knowingly have done by making a mistake, or having to make an unpopular decision where you can't make everybody happy. Yeah, and there is so much of that in leadership, particularly educational leadership. And man, is it hard. Our hearts go out to leaders and anyone in education at this time right now. But you put it as well as a person could, Jenny. That's really why there's that feeling of needing redemption, even if maybe you haven't done anything openly hurtful. It's just that feeling of wanting to work to get people's trust and to get them to want to be on your team. Right. To tie into that team element, you don't have to embark on that redemptive leadership journey after that decision happens or after you've made a mistake and you need to make amends. There are some proactive things that you can do to create that redemptive culture. We talk about a lot in education that we want to establish, or at least pre-pandemic, things have seemingly changed, but that failure is okay. Failure is our first attempt that we want to make it okay for people to make mistakes because that is how we learn and grow. And a redemptive leader or a leader who is skilled or has this concept in the back of their minds, there's a couple of things that you can do proactively. The first is make choices that align with core values, not only your core values as an individual person, but whatever your big district mission, vision, what those values are. If you can always adhere to those, it makes that swing into that redemptive move much easier because you have that to fall back on. Keeping that I'm a human, I'm not a robot, I have feelings too, letting people know that those are real, that's another way. And then always engaging in that reflective internal work that comes with asking, am I in it for people or am I in this leadership role for myself? And if a leader adopts those three mindsets, you are really being proactive in making that move to redemption if you have to. Casey, you said something that just popped out there about being a skilled leader. And -hmm. I think there's something also to be said in any leadership role you find yourself There are so many ways of being a leader, whether or not you are at the top of the food chain, right? Right. But there's something to be said about skilled leadership takes practice and takes time. Everybody at one point or another is going to eventually be in a leadership position where they are new at it. And so to be a skilled leader takes practice Mm -hmm. and you make mistakes or you might do something that in retrospect didn't really want to do or that you were like, I would have done it a different way. And so that's another thing to talk about. So Casey, those are all really good. Mm-hmm. Those take time and take practice. Yes. And so if you're listening as a new leader or a leader that has changed different roles, all three of us can say that we've had yeah. to change leadership roles over the last calendar year. We're growing into that and we have to make space and grace for ourselves to become the leaders that we hope to be. 
Jenny, to your point about are good leaders born or are good leaders made? Sometimes in those moments of crisis, in those mistakes that we make, that is where we really can earn our stripes as leaders through this redemptive process and all these different alignments we're going to make to Rebecca's story. Yeah, when things are firing on all cylinders, it's really easy to be a leader. When things are hard, when things seem wrong, when people aren't agreeing on things, when a leader can really prove their worth and prove their mettle. Keeping these proactive strategies in mind and maybe reframing redemption, not just as a negative, as something you do when all the wheels fall off, but just a skill that you're building all along is the ability to work through a redemptive leadership arc. A little bit more on that. Let's talk about that idea of reframing it, because I think that a lot of folks hear redemption and think that it's something that's like a weakness, but framing it as a strength. What are some ways to make redemption effective? Well, I think first and foremost, admitting that either the decision was hard or the wrong has been done. We have seen not only in education, but throughout our country, when things go wrong, there's two pathways to take. Either, yes, I messed up, or you double down. For those looking to craft, not craft, I don't like that word craft, but I'm going to go with it. But when you're trying to rebuild whatever that community or that culture is supposed to be, acknowledging the hurt that happened goes a long way for people. As humans, right, we're all predisposed to good and seeing the good in people. So acknowledging the hurt that's been done, I think, is first. Yeah, Casey, I really like that a lot. And I've spent some time reading up on organizational trauma. And one of the main things of healing that trauma or working through that is at the helm of a good leader being willing to acknowledge Mm -hmm. something. And so if you run away from it, or you try to avoid it, then you're actually causing more harm than good. So that admission, that's the first step is owning something, acknowledging something that's going to allow for people to open their hearts to second chances. It's huge. And tying the metaphor back into that. So if we're using Rebecca Welton as our model redemptive leader here, you don't have to look any further than the scene where in season one where she makes her apology to Ted for trying to sabotage his efforts at coaching the team. If you notice, there's a couple of things she does that make that acknowledgement really powerful. For instance, one of the things I noticed is she uses... And by the way, this is really important for anybody apologizing, not just a leader. But she uses I-centric language when she apologizes to him. She's like, I wanted you to fail. I sabotaged you. I didn't care who I hurt. She doesn't say stuff that he did wrong and doesn't, like, surmise his feelings at all. She just says, basically, that she made a bad choice. Like you said, acknowledges what happened and acknowledges her role in it and acknowledges that she's struggling with it and uses her language self-directed to show that there's reflection happening there. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned that, Emily, with the pronoun I. It is probably the one time in leadership where you do want to use that individual singular first-person pronoun. Mm -hmm. Most of the time in leadership, when you're learning about it, it's using the we and bringing people together. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to being vulnerable and owning your contribution to whatever is going on, that's really going to be an important piece to showing that you're not being weak. You're using this as an opportunity to take the responsibility and move forward. And it's different than saying, 
I'm sorry that this upset you because it almost teeters on gaslighting in that mm-hmm. sense that you're the problem, not me as the leader. So yeah, absolutely. I center language in this instance all the way. Yeah, I really like how she does that. And it, if you notice, she gets even a better response out of Ted than she expected. He wholly embraces her literally and mentally just you've been going through something hard i understand and they're able to move forward in a better place from that as a result of the way she structures that apology and again she did not want to do it it was difficult for her Mm -hmm. but she did it and she did it well and that's how they were able to move forward into a better place he even mirrors her language back like says i forgive you and i think there's something beautifully symbolic about that too because when it comes to redemptive leadership right if you show it if you model it you get it right back from the people in your culture so i just love that that is something that's modeled and mirrored back to her after their exchange and you just think of her character and the depth of that comes with it and how much her arc goes over that season and into the next one how you just learn to love her and that's what we would hope for leaders in our education system too is that you're not always going to be loved but you're going to want to be one of those characters that people want to keep coming back to and she's one of them well put okay so now we need to talk about what happens when there's an issue with somebody else in the organization and i think to that we could maybe use higgins as an example so gotta love higgins er, oh yeah (laughs) who doesn't love leslie higgins i love when he's like what sitting behind the window he doesn't ever have an office anymore i know (laughs) in season two yeah yeah Yeah, I'm going to steal Casey's role here. And the backstory with Higgins is that he was in the know about Rupert, her ex-husband, having been unfaithful to her. And she's really, really mad at him. But she keeps him on kind of a keep your enemies closer type of situation. But as she continues in her sabotage efforts and keeps trying to involve him, he's in it with Ted. He wants Ted Lasso to coach this team and understands that the team means something to their local community. And he's just not here for it anymore. And at one point, he walks. So... There's a situation where she's in a position to need to forgive Higgins a little bit and also do some damage control with him. So let's talk a little bit about what happens when the feeling of the need for redemption or the struggle isn't just one-sided, not just the ball in the leader's court. This one is really, really, really hard. For me personally, she really does, by the second season, it feels like let bygones be bygones. And sometimes when we really do rest on those core values and somebody else, something out of our control happens, goes against those core values, it's really easy to hold on to that anger, to that resentment. But ultimately, you're only hurting yourself when you do that. But from firsthand experience, I know that this clearing the air and giving people additional chances to prove their worth and show their value can be really, really hard. I think two really important things she does with him that leaders can take away also are, we've said it in other episodes, I'm going to say it again, notice a name. So, like, she calls him out for the mistake that he made. She doesn't just, like, let it be water under the bridge right away. She's like, I know you did this thing. This thing 
was terrible and I've got my eye on you right now. So she did notice and name the thing that hurt her and that caused that fracturing of trust in their relationship. But from there, she continues to give him a chance. And that chance is so important because Higgins doesn't waste it. He uses it in an opportunity to really help the team. And at some point or another, she sees the keeping the team and making the team successful in the ways she wants it to be successful, aka the Ted Lasso way, is even her own little act of rebellion. And she and Higgins are able to get back on the same page again by having a different value in common, not so much focused on their marriage, but focused on the team. I made it sound like Higgins and Rebecca were married there. (laughs) I didn't mean to. (laughs) But I would argue there's something like I was trying to think of the analogy that would connect Higgins and Rebecca. And if she's like the dad, the authoritative like parent figure, the father figure, I would view Higgins as the mother figure in the dinner that he coordinates and organizes. Like everybody shows up to his house because he has this sort of calming presence with the team. And that honestly might be another thing to point out is leaders looking for redemption look at possible teammates. And we're going to dig a little deeper into that later. Like the people that you choose and the people that you surround yourself with are incredibly important to making that happen or not happen for you if you're in a position to choose. And then in terms of clearing the air, there's a couple of different strategies that we as leaders can use, whether that's through rounding or doing something called a listening tour. So a listening tour essentially is where you get a whole group of stakeholders together and you sit into the room as the leader and you simply listen You're not allowed to argue. You're not allowed to defend. It's you just hearing what is actually going on and what people are thinking and feeling. And then you as the leader can either reflect with a trusted peer or work with your cabinet team to decide what steps need to happen in order to move that redemptive arc forward. Yes, I would agree. Listening is a underutilized leadership strategy Mm -hmm. that can make you a better leader, no doubt. Oftentimes we feel pressured to be able to speak up and speak out and say all of the things. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, and I would argue more times than we even realize, the listening piece is really what is going to get you the information you need to do a better job. Yep. Okay, so let's talk about the idea of transparency, because that comes up a lot in terms of like, oh, good leaders are transparent. What does that mean? To me, the first thing I thought of when we were writing this particular section is Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, talks about the difference between tight and loose. So tight is, as educators, our goal is to help students reach their full potential. There's multiple ways that we could achieve that. We could look at map data. We could look at a holistic approach to who the student is in addition to their social emotional learning, their academic performance. There's freedom and flexibility within that tight structure and form. So for me, transparency is making clear what expectations are, what needs are, and then providing support and letting people have a little bit of freedom and autonomy and how to get there. A communication of what's firm and what's flexible. And 
If you're a leader that you're looking at yourself and how you communicate and everything sounds firm, yeah, that's one of those situations where you might be looking at the need for redemption because if you don't have any points that are flexible or any processes that are flexible, you're running an organization that is not creating that balance for your employees and for your students even. Yeah, she gives Ted a lot of leeway after their relationship has been repaired, and she allows him to make a lot of decisions. Same thing with Keely. There's a lot of trust that is palatable, and from what she's willing to allow them to do, even though it is technically her ownership and her organization, these are people that she has around her and allows them to feel like they are empowered to do their jobs without the fear of judgment on a mistake that might be made. Yeah. Okay, so I really think we're kind of already towing the line into it, so we probably just need to jump in full on and talk about the people that Rebecca surrounds herself with, that leaders surround themselves with. There's a couple concepts we can talk about when it comes to your people skills when you're trying to be a redemptive leader, and I think one is showing up for your people, and the other one is the idea of having a morality partner or partners in your system. So let's start with the idea of showing up for your people. What does that look like for leaders? Well, I think it's twofold. It's not only showing up, but being seen as well. So the redemptive leader is not only the head of an organization, but is a part of the organization. So they're being visible in the hallways. They're attending professional learning. That's the expectation of the people who are attending the professional learning. It's you are a part of that. You're not above that. And so, for example, when... Ted first meets Rebecca, she is a little put off by him bringing her cookies, aka British biscuits. <laughs> and initially, she's like, eh, I don't do that sort of thing. But they're so delicious that eventually it becomes this ritual. And that allows when she does make that big admission about her huge mistake, there is that relationship there, that emotional capital that she and Ted have built up that allows him to easily say, I forgive you. Yeah, biscuits with the boss laid the mm-hmm. foundation for that for that <laughs> forgiveness to occur. <laughs> yep. And so another thing I think of when I think about that showing up for people is like, there is that awesome, awesome episode with the curse in the locker room and mm-hmm. Danny Rojas yep. and, and they have to end the curse and Ted has this whole method where they're going to meet at night and they're all going to throw something into this bonfire. And I believe it's Sam, which that's interesting given mm-hmm. all that unfolds, but Sam comes up and asks Rebecca like, hey... This is important. This is important to the team, and we need you to be here. Mm-hmm. And Rebecca's response to that, yeah. she goes and she throws the old Rebecca article in there. So yep. it's almost on. like Rebirth Phoenix, right? Like she's completely the new redemptive arc Rebecca. I love that. She is. She just jumps in the mix. She adds to their ritual, and she gets down there on the field with them. She's not up there in the office. She's Mm -hmm. down there with them. I'm kind of bringing up an idea as I'm talking here. There's that idea with up there or... And down there, up there in the central office or up there in the administrative office and down there in the classrooms, trying to erase those lines by being more present. Like you said, Casey, more hands on with the same types of responsibilities and interactions with students that are expected of teachers. As a leader, you want to get in there and be with them, but not down there, but in Mm -hmm. there. I use the wrong terminology myself and words matter, though. 
Sometimes what you'll hear from people is when you're in those leadership roles that your calendar is so full and you're so busy or you can't find the time to be in there with people. Yeah, you'll be in there when it's for an observation that you have to do, but are you in there when it comes to rolling up your sleeves and getting to know people and their students and the real that's happening? And all I can say is to anybody that's feeling that way, like, I just don't have the time. I'm telling you, if you make the time, it pays off in dividends. It really Mm -hmm. does. You will carve out that time and it'll save you time down the road. It's an investment. So like you said, Casey, with Biscuits with the Boss, that now she can actually have a hard conversation with that person. And that hard conversation is going to go a lot better because you have invested that time getting in there with people. If you don't or you neglect to do that and you're always up in the ivory tower, and then it's not an if, but a when those types of conversations come up and you haven't invested that time with people, those conversations not only are harder, but then they take up more of your emotional effort and Mm -hmm. attention. Actually, you're spending more time in the long run. It's being willing to trust the fact that rolling up your sleeves and going in there with people is worth your time as a leader. 100%. While we're talking about being in there with your people, we need to talk a little bit about having a strong morality partner or partners within your system. Somebody to keep your feet on the ground. For that, we look at Keely Jones. What's beautiful about their relationship, this has happened to me several times in my professional career where we have multi-generational friendships, right? You've got someone who's an up-and-comer, who is a go-getter like Keely, and then to me, Rebecca is a pro. So she's able to connect with that multi-generational I don't, she's not that, I'm using the wrong phrase, but you get what I mean in the sense that- It's okay, Casey. She's not a real person. She's not going like, to call you okay. up and yeah. be mad at you I'm for calling sorry. her old. Juno Campo calling, just, she's mad. What, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Keely views things differently enough from Rebecca to be a sounding board, to be somebody that she not only has a professional relationship, but a friendship as well to help keep her- grounded and fulfill a different need in her life. Yes. And I think a really important part of that is it needs to be somebody you can trust to call you out. Mm -hmm. Like, am I crossing a line? Yes, I am. And that friendship remains intact. So when Rebecca needs to apologize to Ted, and there's just that line, that stinger of a line where she's like, well, why should I do it if no one's going to be any the wiser? And Keely tells her, it would change the way I feel about you. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that pushes her to do it. When you have to have somebody that you can trust, probably within your system, I would say, not outside, who can tell you when you've crossed a line. And it can't be somebody who always locksteps with you. We've talked in the past about having people who challenge you on your guild and how powerful that can be. This is key leaders. You need somebody in your guild who will give you a little shove here and there if you goofed, you know? Yep. Being plastic ain't fantastic. That's right. I think is a bad thing. So definitely. Bonus points for another episode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) With leadership, and I hate to do the hierarchical thing again, but with leadership, the higher you go the more lonely it gets, Mm -hmm. I guess you would say, in the sense that it's harder to find people that will surround you in your system that are willing to tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly and give you that corrective feedback as you need it to be the best leader that you can be. And so when that happens or when you find those people within your system that can do that with grace and dignity 
and in such a way that it really does help you, you want to also point that out or not reward it with tangible things, but even just with thank you. That constructive criticism, oftentimes our knee jerk can be something that may make somebody else feel really nervous to even offer it. So Mm -hmm. if you're open and gentle in your response to that corrective feedback, you're going to get more of that in return to be your best. And the more you show yourself as the leader that's willing to hear that, it's going to allow for people to be willing to tell you that more often. I think another thing we want to look at too with this is not just having one morality partner, but also keeping at least one of your morality partners to be somebody who is still teaching, is still in the classroom. So talking about being in there, obviously you get busy, like you said, Jenny, and you can't be in there all the time. But if one of the people that you go to for checking your decisions or checking your wording on things is going to be somebody who's boots on the ground, so to speak, who's down there on the pitch or what have you, you know, Mm -hmm. you need somebody who's got a classroom role or who's in there with teachers, who's on the teacher contract and dealing with the same issues day to day that the teachers are dealing with. It's really important to have somebody there as one of your morality partnerships. Well, and I don't think that this is really going to fit in the educational realm, but I'm just going to say it. That's not like Sam and Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) That would not be how Sam and Rebecca end up, but... uh... Yeah, good power about. Yeah, <laughs> twist. Or... What I would say to that, though, is I can just speak from a personal example. One of my dearest, dearest friends is a very high level administrator in another district, and we can talk to each other about our decisions. And I think she needs me, I need her. We talk to each other about our roles and how things look for a teacher in the classroom, how things look for an instructional coach, and how hard it is, like you said, for administrators to be making decisions in such a fraught educational climate. The support we're able to give each other through difficult times, it really helps us both be better within our roles. And that's one of those really reciprocal arrangements and friendships where you can really feel that the friendship makes us better professionally. And it's important. She's a member of my guild. And you need a Keeley and you need somebody who's not dating one of the players, but who's (laughs) in in there with the players. (laughs) Yeah, it builds that genuine empathy. I was just going to say all of that is an exercise in empathy, being able to see things from the perspective of others is really the biggest key towards redemptive leadership. If you can really genuinely have empathy for all your stakeholders, you will be able to connect with them and pave a way forward. Yeah, real talk. So let's wrap this up and share what our takeaways are with this, because there's been a lot of things flying around there about redemptive leadership and all of the different points that we've made. But what would your big takeaway be? All right, I'll start. And it's something small, Emily, that you said early, but redemptive leadership is an arc, right? Sometimes you're going to feel like the hero in the story, and other times you're not. And acknowledging that there's going to be those highs and those lows, but if you can build up that capital through the relationships you have, through the tight and the loose expectations or the culture that you have, it makes that journey along that arc 
much, much easier and allows you to come in that more positive light at the end. One of the threads I keep connecting is just the importance of people, of giving people Mm -hmm. second chances, of taking people who've really put in the work like Ted Lasso style to earn your trust and build a relationship with you and rewarding that with some autonomy and the ability to invest trust in them as well. And that morality partnership, investing in people Mm -hmm. is never going to steer you wrong. You need to look at the people who challenge you who make you better, who don't automatically just say what they think you want to hear, but the people that might push back, but push back in ways that work for the betterment of the whole system and for you as a leader. Yeah, there's a reason why there are so many books out there on leadership and being a leader. And Casey, something that you said early on as we started this particular episode about being a skilled leader, when you get in that position that you are finding yourself in the leadership, there's nuances. It takes time and practice and there's going to be mistakes made. But Emily, as you're mentioning that you're working with humans and we are Mm -hmm. imperfect, yet we are so valuable and important to one another. And so it takes time and it takes practice. And if you are finding yourself challenged by this current climate of leadership, There's a reason, but finding the grace and understanding that it takes practice and being willing to find your own redemption story to do the best for people, by people, and in education and service of our students and our kids. There are so many educators out there that need and crave good leaders. So keep at it. Keep trying. Show up another day to do your best work. Awesome. All right. So speaking of investing in people, let's invest in some game time here, team. All right. Yay! So this is more just kind of that Q&A style game, like what we used to do sometimes on the pod. So we're just going to roll with this. Game question number one. Think of Rebecca getting out there and just crushing Let It Go (laughs) in karaoke. (laughs) So, Guild, what is your karaoke jam? If you had to sing karaoke with the team, what would your song be? I'm so embarrassed. I don't know if I can say it out loud. Oh, come on. We have, <laughs> we've already read Twilight and stuff. Like, let's just <laughs> I know. I always seem to disparage myself here. Okay, so mine would be Carrie Underwood before he cheats. Ooh. I can really jam to that one. Nice, nice. All right, mine is a deep, deep cut. But I think it's very appropriate for this episode. Cruel to be Kind by Nick Lowe. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Most times Casey says something, I'm Googling, who is this cruel person? What is to that? be kind in the right measure. Cruel to be kind. It's a <laughs> yes, very good and sign. we get some singing. Cruel More bonus to points. Be kind. <laughs> Baby, I love you, mate. Yeah. I hope to God I did all the right lyrics. <laughs> I'm sure you did. I just was going to stop checking, you before. Fact checking so, yeah. right now. <laughs> no, I'm sure you did fine. I was just going to stop you if you got all over what fair use would allow. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was 10 seconds. We're good. Spoken well, like a real tech coach. Librarian. Yeah, librarian. All, right <laughs> all of the things. All of it. I'm going to stick with this uh, woman scorned arc because mine is These Boots Were Made for Walking by Nancy Sinatra. <laughs> nice. And this is all very um, Rebecca specific. Actually, yes. a lot of angry women who got yep. cheated on here. <laughs> it works. It's on theme. All right. Here's another one. So think to Rebecca and her buddy. They call each other stinky and sassy, and they just have like these funny nicknames for each other. So if somebody had to have given or currently give you one of those S nicknames, what would it be? <laughs> Mine just is self-imposed, socially awkward with a hyphen. 
<laughs> uh, mine is probably snarky. <laughs> oh, that's a good one for you. Yeah, snarky. Yes. Uh, the best one I could come up with was stuffy. Oh, <laughs> like in the nasal lens or no, in the pompous? Like, not pompous, not nasal, more like... Like no fun? Yeah, there you go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> That's what I think. I think my little sister would definitely agree with that one. <laughs> yeah, and if we're going with childhood nicknames, you might. Yeah, roll yeah. With that. yeah. <laughs> I don't think that about you at all. But oh, good. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, snarky was more of a throwback to childhood too. I occasionally mm-hmm. get kicked out of class for saying the wrong thing. Whoops. All right, and then a would you rather question. So uh, I love this one. <laughs> would you <laughs> rather? <laughs> Would you rather be served biscuits or some hot brown water, as Ted puts it? So good. Oh, this is easy for me. Yeah. Hot brown water. Like, it sounds disgusting the way you put it like that, but I'm a tea (laughs) drinker. I drink hot brown water, and I like it. Ted would not approve, but hot brown water all day. This is truly difficult because I like my tea a certain kind of way. I like my biscuits a certain kind of way. So I need more time. Please hold for me. Okay, I'm just going to answer because this was easy for me. I'm a coffee purist, so biscuits. I could dip them in the coffee. I could have them with the coffee. It's all good. I'm not switching to that hot brown water. I want the other hot Hot brown brown water. water. I want coffee. I would probably say, oh. You got to pick. I would would probably then pick biscuits only because I like to have a lot of honey and sugar in my tea or it can't be like the black tea or it, it has to be yeah so we're just gonna go with biscuits <laughs> less need to be particular yes all right nice work team on that i just want to finish this up with a little taste of what's to come so what we're working on is a series called talk nerdy to me where we're going to have some fun guests coming in some folks who really have something that they're passionate about or quote unquote nerding out about and we want to get in these people's head and find out about what this nerdy awesome thing is that's bringing joy to their world and their instructional practices right now so please join us for that and that's it for this episode of the grounded learners guild many thanks to you for choosing to engage with our guild's content as we passionately continue to advocate for adult learners with the transparent conversations about the world of education, impactful leadership, and the power of high-functioning teaming. If you'd like to connect with the Guild, the power of the PLN continues. You can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com, and on Twitter, at GroundedLGuild, at CVeacher, at TechCoachM, and at Jenny Labrie, using the hashtag GLGPodChat. Feedback is a powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already, or if you're finding us for the first time, how about leaving us a review? It helps us to improve our work, allows us to bring you quality and customized content, and assists others in finding our guild as well. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you stream. Thanks again for joining us. Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode of the Grounded Learners Guild. See you at the next Guild meeting. And in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded.